All right, if y'all have your Bibles with you, I ask that you turn to the book of Revelations. I believe we are ready for Revelations chapter 2, verse 18. We'll be going through the letter to the church in Thyatira tonight. All right, we're going to start in verse 18, and I'm going to read through all the way through 29, and then we'll come back and kind of walk through uh, verse by verse what Jesus is actually telling this church. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So real quick, just to give you kind of a, a background on where Thyatira kind of stands and, and what they were prior to this, they were kind of in between uh, Pergamon, Pergamum and Sardis. I think they were about 40 miles, I think it said southeast of uh, Pergamum. And they were in a valley. And so when these cities would come under attack, they were almost like a speed bump going through. So this place would get destroyed all the time. All the time. So they set soldiers up here as kind of a, a slow point to kind of, kind of slow them down from getting to the city, the bigger cities to attack. So they came under Roman rule and things kind of chilled out after that. They were uh, yeah, that's all about where they're at on the map or whatever, but what Jesus is talking about here is they are a church that tolerated sin. Now, this is pretty pretty well defining 
the majority of churches we have out there today. Um, you see a lot of, of openness of uh, whether it be leaders that are uh, homosexual. Uh, there's a church just right down the road where this is happening right now. And Kevin was speaking of them, I believe, last week. Their mindset is you meet people where they are and, and it's not up to you to judge them. But we're going to see tonight that that's not the case. It's not to say that you follow people around and watch their every move because sinners are going to sin. But when you are openly living certain ways, and I'm not just talking about homosexual lifestyles, I'm talking about whether it be alcoholism, anything, anything that goes against God's Word, you're openly living that lifestyle. You're a part of a church. It's up to those people. It's up to those people to love you enough to show you where you're going against God's Word. It's not about just pointing people out and, and saying you got sin in your life. It's about trying to drive them to repentance so they don't end up like this right here. So there, the opening here, so think, think about it from their point of view. Try to put on their shoes and your members in the church of Thyatira and you get a, a letter from Jesus that says the words of the Son of God, who's Jesus, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Does that sound like uh, a gentle opening? What do you think of when you, when you hear eyes like a flame of fire? They can see everything about you. They're not seeing outwardly what you're doing. They can see straight to the core. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. I tried to find some references in this, and about the only one I found that was kind of close to it was, uh, I think, over in Revelations, like around chapter 19, where he was talking about crushing like a wine press. And it's kind of it's giving you that stability, that... Um, Firm stand, immovable type feel. Right, right. That does make sense. Right. So this is a church that tolerated sin, so I, I think it's fitting to look at what Jesus said actually was the very first command He gave the church. The very first words out of His mouth about the church. If you'll flip to Matthew chapter 18...
So think about this. This is the very first command He gives to the church. It wasn't about how to draw in a lot of members. It wasn't about uh, evangelistic techniques to get more people to try to win souls over. This, this is what He says. Uh, chapter 18, verse 15, sorry. And we'll read through verse 17. So starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does he mean there? Get him out. How many churches do you hear of doing this right now? Why? So one of the struggles that I, because I, I, I got to thinking about this, and I was like, so why is it hard to correct people? But really when you think about it, we do, most of the time we think we're not in a position, because we still sin, we're not in a position to go and approach somebody about their sin. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do this wrong? You know, but he says to do this. Uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, teachers, preachers to watch is is John MacArthur, and I think he's been in ministry at, in his church I think for fifty one, fifty two years now. And when he went in there, it, it, the church was a disaster. There was people that were teaching that shouldn't have been teaching. There was people that were deacons and elders that weren't qualified to be those. And he made moves in that church. That he did it like God said. You can't argue with God's Word, right? And all those leaders of that church and all the, the pastors that surrounded him in the area told him, he said, you're going to run every single one of your members out of there and nobody's going to come to that church if you do this. Right now he's got one of the largest numbers of people in church at his church in, in California and it's not because he doesn't preach God's word if any of y'all follow he's he's pretty sound um, but that that goes to show you that takes that fear out of it because here's the thing are you worried about running people off that are openly living in sin or are you worried about obeying what God told you to do because you're not going to stand before those people at the end of time you're going to stand before God Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So some of the questions, like I was saying, is why would we want to expose people's sin or force anyone out of the church? Shouldn't we just love them and let the Spirit do it, do His work? And I think there's a period of time where you allow that to happen, but when it doesn't happen, because here's the one thing that you can, you can bet on, if you openly let people in your church sin, 
openly, it's going to cause more people to do the same thing. Because think about, think about the ones who are younger in the faith, and they say, well, so-and-so does... I mean, so it's not a big deal if I do something that I see is smaller than that, and then it keeps growing and growing. And not only that, you might attract people on the outside in, but do you, what are you attracting in? And what are you attracting to? Right. Are you attracting them to God, or are you Right. 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 And you know, it's 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 no doubt that you can look around at churches. A lot of the megachurch. I'm not saying every megachurch because there's there's some that are not, but a lot of them ignore those things, or they make the group so big that it's not even you're not even personal on a personal level. We're just one giant concert every week that's coming in and hearing a message. So it's it's easy not to know it if somebody else what lifestyle they're living, but you see them practicing tolerance as a way of drawing more people in the church. Because if I look like I got this many people, I don't look like I'm that great. But if I got a big old pile of people, I'm like I got it all together. But what are you teaching? What are you preaching? So let's uh, let's look at another example of how this is dealt with and. And, and Paul, you know, Paul was just an easygoing guy, right? Uh, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll read this whole chapter. It's not very long, but you're going to see something in here that I don't know why it's never stood out to me. I just guess I kind of read over it and got the, the gist of, of what was going on. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. So, similar thing here, right? In a kind that is not even tolerated by the pagans. So think of that. The pagans, it's not even tolerated by the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Put that equation together. His mom. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's a reason. It's not because you hate his guts. It's because you don't want him to go to hell. Your boasting is not good. So they were bragging about this, right? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the, out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So he's not talking about worldly people. He's talking about people in the church and they're bragging about people in the church, about tolerating this sin in the church. For what have I done, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not my, it's not my, that's God's job, right? But we as a church represent God. It is not those inside, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So you don't just have a sin, boot them out. Jesus gave us an order on the way you do that. You go to your brother out of love. If you go to him out of love, you're not just going to point out their sin. Every single time, though, you'll see that most of the time when you approach somebody, what's the first thing they do? They get defensive which is a reason why I just wouldn't one step and then boot them out. Then you bring back other people with you when they don't listen, when they don't repent. So Paul snapped on them pretty hard and should have. I mean, the pagans don't even tolerate what they were going through. So instead of removing this man, they boasted about it as if tolerance was like some kind of a badge of honor for them I guess, to represent out in the community. So you think about it this way. Not only do you represent Christ as a Christian, the way you live your life is a testimony, right? His name is at stake. You're representing what, if I go do this, I'm a member of this church, what does everybody think about the whole entire church? So you just gave everybody in here a bad name. Right. But you speak of that, somebody in the world that normally speaks that and brings it together, he said they're going to hear you and just void it through witness that y'all start talking to about that. Well, you do. Right. What does the rest of the world do? They respond they respond with an F bomb or whatever it might be. And that that's how you are supposed to be set apart. Right, right. So you can see in a church like we we're talking, sin pretty much, this is like a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. This sin will spread. Uh, holiness and purity does not. That's something that's got to be guarded. That's something that has to be cultivated in people. 
That's something we have to grow in. It's easy to do what I'm naturally born to do, what I want to do. It's not easy to fight against those things. Um, one other one we'll look at is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 through 27. This is going to look at how Christ sees the church, and then we're going to, we're going to think about that in conjunction with, with, with what's going on in this church. Chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the church is what Christ died for. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might like he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Does this church look holy without blemish? This church in Thyatira. Did the church in, in, in Corinthians look like holy without blemish? We'll move on to verse 19. We're back in Revelation chapter 2. But yeah, just set the stage here. And, and don't miss this too. If you read through these letters one by one, I don't know if you if you know what I'm talking about, but there's you can read and you can pick up on tones of language, right? You can see the first three churches had correction, but it was kind of a a, a gentle type correction about them. And then this one, you see the tone change like at the beginning. Eyes like fire, and and burnished brawn uh, feet. So this is, I would be like, uh-oh, what, what's coming next, you know? Right. And if you're part of this church, you're probably not surprised about what he's saying about this church because this lady was teaching in the church. Verse 19, it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance that you and that your latter works exceed your first. So he starts out similar to the other letters. He's commending them of what they're doing that's righteous deeds. But it's just one, one sentence, right? The rest of it kind of real quick. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What is the biblical command about women teaching the whole church? Does anybody know? It just plainly says it's not permitted 
that they will teach the whole... So this lady has called herself a prophetess, which is already blasphemy for what she's teaching. She's teaching in the church, and she's teaching everybody. She's also offering food sacrifice to idols. But what you see here is she is called Jezebel. This probably wasn't her name. But what do we know about Jezebel in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna flip over here in a minute. We're gonna see how she was dealt with because it's way different than what you see immediately right here. Now, this lady's um, final outcome was would probably be a, uh, the the Old Testament Jezebel would probably the punishment to her would probably be a walk in the park for what she's going to go through um, eternally. But we'll look at that in a minute. So she is teaching and seducing my servants. My servants. These are Christians. To practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Notice he says next in verse 21, I gave her time to repent. He offered her a chance of repentance. But how many know that those who love the darkness way more than the light will stay with the darkness. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So let's flip over to, I think it's in Kings. I think I wrote that down. 1 Kings chapter 16. Way on back in here. First Kings chapter 16, and we're going to be in verse, um, I think it's, I'm sorry, gave you the wrong one. Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 9. Going in 10 different directions up here. Chapter 9, verse 30. Probably going to murder some of these names, but I'll give it my best shot. It says, When Jehu or Yehu came to Jezreel, here's her name, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the windows. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, It is peace you Zimri, murderer of your master. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out to him. He said, Throw her down. This is talking about Jezebel. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled her. Then he went in and ate and drank, and he said, See now, 
to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he has spoke by his servant Elijah and Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. There's nothing left. Stomped to death and eaten by dogs. And then you see Jesus referring to this woman as Jezebel, but you see he offered her grace and she refused it. He says, Behold, I will throw her on to a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great, tri into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I read where it said that the Greek didn't even have sick in here. It meant I would throw her on a bed. Now, whether that bed means a, a sick bed, it, it, if you look at the word, it actually says... Uh, to be struck with disease, or if it means like an eternal bed in hell. Either way, an unrepentant person, that's where they're going anyhow. So whether it means sickness now here, punishment, hell later, or I'll throw her on a bed in hell, whichever way it goes, it's, it's, it's still going to be the, the same end. And not only that, he says... And I will throw those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation. I believe he is, he's talking about the Christians here. And he's talking about a, a time where he is going to chastise them for, for their sins. And that's only to lead them back to repentance. Right, and those that, who has committed the acts with it because these are Christians that she has led into sexual immorality. Right, right. Yeah, he's given, he's given them a chance to a time of repentance before, this is not talking, when it says great tribulation here, it's not talking about the tribulation to come that's later spoken of it's not talking about the uh, what do they call it the eschatology type tribulation this is this is talking about the here and now whether it's sickness even even probably some of them even to the point of death this is I think some of the problem that we have right now is we take the church too lightly this is Jesus's bride the one he died for and to not deal with it the way that he teaches us to deal with it, it's bad news. Right. What do you think is going to come back? Paul Washer probably gave one of the best, I think it was when we went to G3 last year, one of the best um, pictures of it. He said, imagine there's a king, and the king has to go to war, and he asks you to watch over his bride. 
while he's gone. And he went pretty graphic with everything. And he said, imagine you come back and you have her dressed up like, what's a nice way to say it? Like, like a, a street lady. Because you wanted to attract more people to like her, you did what you wanted to with her. What do you think that king is going to do to you when he comes back and finds that bride in that shape? Think about it. Just a king. Think of an earthly king. What would that king come back now? Think of Jesus and his church. What do you think it's going to do? Verse 23, this goes even further. If you, if you look back through history, I think at the time of this letter, this church has been going for about 40 years now. This lady has been teaching these things. I don't know if it's the whole entire time, but it says, and I will strike her children dead. This is not talking about her biological children. This is talking about the spiritual children that she has created, this next generation of people that are believing all these of this false teaching. will strike will strike them dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each, each of you according to your works. So you think about this. This happens to the church at Thyatira. What are the other churches looking at going? What, what are they thinking? Do we have this going on in our church? We need to fix this. Right now, whether, whether, whether God does something that everybody sees that is a blessing or whether God punishes, He still gets glory from this because this, this is what everybody else is going to look at and go, okay, here's our example. We're not, we're not doing this, and if we got it in here, we're going to get it out right now. Right. 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 You say it. You say that they got some things right, and I think it's 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 not. This wasn't just meant for this church. This is meant for all churches. So it's a it's a it's a way to look at this and go, okay, let's look around. Are we guilty of this? For everybody to look around, look at your own lives to, to examine yourself. Do I? Do I hide my sin? Do I go in there and act like everybody else? Uh, do I know of somebody who is living in sin that's part of the church and I'm just too scared to say anything to them? And, and you got to overcome fear through that because here's the thing. Do you love them enough? That should be the question. Not Do I have my act together all the way where, and I'm just perfect where I can go and ask them, oh, please don't do that no more. You ought to come to them with, with an urgency that, hey, we see right now, none of us are promised tomorrow. And what, what if I just keep letting you deal with this and keep, how do I know where you're at? Why should I not come to you like your house is on fire and to you? Please listen to me right now. You are, you are living in sin according to God's Word. Right. Right, right. Have that kind of love. Yeah, I would give my salvation up for you if I could. <laughs> so it's not, 
It's not a complete disaster in Thyatira. So he says, I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So not everybody has, has failed to this teaching. And we go a little bit further, you'll see this. But to the rest of you, the rest of you who are not in this same category as the ones I'm talking to here, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. So this, this teaching almost, I don't, I don't know how many, how many of y'all have heard of uh, like a, a dualism or Gnosticism. It was kind of a, like a contemporary Greek philosophy. What it taught was that the, the soul was good and the flesh was bad. And so if that's the case, I can do whatever I want to with my body and I, I can commit sexual immoral acts and I can do all these things because my soul is good. So I, I can punish my body. They would do self-mutilation. You name it. It was just crazy type stuff that was taught. And it almost appears that these kind of go along the same way because it says uh, what some call the deep things of Satan. You, you haven't dove into this. Almost to say that they go there in order to see what it's like so they can evangelize and, and relate with everybody else. I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird, weird type teaching. He says, I do not lay on you any other burden. So what you're going through right now, that's basically enough. Like you're, you're, you're going to struggle in this church with this mess going on because you're trying to cling to the things that are still good with all this going on around you. He says, only hold fast. So it's not going to be easy. Only hold fast what you have until I come. What do you think that verse is talking about? Don't give up. Don't give up. I mean, it couldn't go any better with what Nick's been been preaching on Sundays. Stand firm. You're, it's not about fighting against anything. It's about standing firm. Hold tight to what you got. Hold tight to the truth. Because when everything else is crumbling around you, it's real easy to just throw in the towel and fold in with the rest of the bunch. He says, hold fast what you have until I come. And then he offers here this, this promise. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. This ain't for a little while. Remember the race. This is to the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. So walk backwards here. He says, the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. What is this talking about here? Does anybody know what happens in the millennial kingdom? Who, who rules? during that time? Who rules over the nations during that time? 
It's Jesus. And it's us. If you read, if you read through, um, I'm trying to think where it's at in Revelations. I don't know if I even wrote it down. Right. We rule with Him. We're not in charge, <laughs> but we rule with Him. I'll have to find that and share it. So he's saying it's not going to be easy, but there is the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have even as I myself. So he who holds fast, the one who conquers and keeps my works, he I will give authority to rule over the nations. He's not saying that he's going to make you a god. <laughs> we're, we're not in that religion here. Wrong church. G. This is a this is a uh, a reference from the book of Psalms where it's actually talking about um, the authority of Christ, and it actually this is pretty much quotes this almost word for word to some extent. And he says, "I will give him the morning star." What does that mean? What's the morning star? Because there's a few places in the Bible where it talks about the morning star, but they don't relate the same. Jesus. Revelations 22.16. I'll show you that one that way. The very last chapter. He says, verse 16, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus is saying, and I will give you me. That's our ultimate. Heaven, is heaven. the place, is not our ultimate. That's where I can't wait to go. We're, we're waiting to go there because why? That's where Jesus is. That's where we want to be in His presence. He says, I will give you myself. The other verse you trying to reconvert is four five. It says, Then I saw brethren and feed on them for those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been forgiven the testimony of Jesus and word of God, and those who had not worshipped the page four kingdom. They have not received mark on the foreheads of their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There you go. That's it. The dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed the holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Right. So there you go. Everybody hear where that was at? Revelations 20, 4 through 6. So our ultimate reward is Christ. And like the other ones say, the very last uh, verse, He who has an ear, who has an ear, 
pretty much let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's like the other letters, it's directed. It's written to this church, but it's not just the message for this church. It's for everybody. It's for he who has an ear. All right, that will conclude that letter. I won't go any further. Who's teaching next week? Nathan. Nathan's teaching next week. So Nathan will be going over the church in Sardis because if everything works out with Kevin and them, I think they're going on vacation. Any questions about the church of Thyatira? Right? It's not hopeless, but how much time do you have? That's that's another question. It, right, he didn't say, hey, next Thursday, it's it. Your time is, I know, I know I'm doing wrong now, I repent now. Now is the time. 